0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I'd like to uh, just quickly... I tell you about the time I went to uh, I went to see a performance in Bedford a couple of years ago. It's Pudding, and it stars a man called Hugh Hughes, who's a Welshman, and he he talked about how he was living in the Isle of Anglesey. And, uh, this was sometime in the 1980s, and he was talking about how he was on the thought, that's it, I've had enough, I don't want to stay here anymore, it's just, it's just a little island, it's nothing, I don't want it. And he, he goes some packs his bags, and he sets off to leave, and he's standing at the bridge, and just as he's about to cross the bridge, there's a big shudder, and the island starts to move away from the mainland. And it floats all the way around into the Atlantic Ocean, and the story is about him trying to get off this island that's floating away. And he does it in all these different ways. He, he swims away with a life jacket that he makes out of oranges. And he, he, makes, uh, he makes a big sail with all the townspeople to try and sail the island back to where it originally was. And he ties a whole load of seagulls to it so that it actually floats over the island man. And uh, all this, that, and the other. It is a fiction. Just a, uh, yeah, I saw the confusion on your face, though. Um, it is, it, but it was a very cleverly, cleverly done piece. But what I want to mention about it... Is that at the beginning he was talking to the audience, the tour guide, and he was saying to us, "Now, you see, we are in a theatre. This is part of Welsh accent, this is, You get this for free. Um, we are in a theatre, you see. And in this theatre, you get four walls, you see. And in, this, in these four walls, I can create anything. And if I can create anything for my piece within these four walls, you are a part of it, you see. But outside of these four walls, I can't do anything." And he would run up and down. I was going to do it, but I really can't be bothered. He'd run up and down and back and thought, this is a wall, and this is a wall, and this is a wall. You know what a wall is. Um, and he would say, these walls enclose us into our own little world. So what I've through, just, just to begin with, is that God has no walls. And Hugh Hughes did, on the stage, within these four walls, were absolutely amazing. Fantastic! I've seen the piece twice. He's gone to Sydney now, and he's doing it all there. And I'm just desperate to see it. Is it possible to get a glass of water, please? Thank thank you very much. Um, And uh, he was—he's going off and touring, and he he just does all these amazing things with what little he has on stage, and he creates all this illusion uh, of the life that he led. But God takes that outside of the walls, and he can do anything like Hugh Hughes can do in the theatre God can do anything outside the theatre, inside the theatre in a pub, in a club, on a street, wherever and I think that's something we really need to make a point of knowing because God is always in us and of himself showing, that, showing his power and his, his might and his awesomeness and his grace and his love and he, he will do us um, so I want to take a look at um, Nehemiah this thank you very much sir If I would like to look at uh, Nehemiah, uh, a little bit of background on Nehemiah. He was a man pretty high up in the ranks. He, uh, he was born into a Jewish family, and he moved to Persia, apparently, uh, where he began to build up his reputation within the Persian administration, up to the point where he became cupbearer to the king, which is a very high and authoritative position, um, and one that required a lot of faith and trust from the king. Uh, we also hear in the first chapter of Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem... We're not down. Um, so, there we go. So, this is something that Nehemiah talks about and he prays about in the first chapter. Um, he talks to the king and he says, Look, your highness, I'd like to go out to Jerusalem and see what has actually happened to, to, to this wall. And the king, was so much faith and trust, and with Nehemiah praying on to the king, the king says, yeah, all right, off you, off you go. Wait a minute, I'll make you governor of Judea. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, first important call, the governor of Judea, and he looks at this wall. Now, this is the first point of three points that I'd like to bring in to this preach. Uh, the first point is called observing the ruin. And I want like to just read from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Um... <clears throat> Lehemiah to Jerusalem's walls. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mouths with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the Jekyll well and the Dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the Fountain Gate and the King's Pool, but there was not enough room for my man to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Um, That's a bit further than that. But um, what he was saying is that he was looking at the wall that had been destroyed by what we understand our surrounding nations. They'd just taken on the Jews and knocked it all down. The Jews were exiled and Everyone who was left hind was persecuted. Um, so, I had been given this feeling from God about what he was supposed to be doing. Now, um, how many of us have been in that situation where we, we feel that we should do something and there's no better time to do it than now? I mean, I once, um, I once helped a blind woman the road in Rosington, and it was the last thing she expected in Rosington for someone to actually help her across the road. But I took her by the hand and I said, "Come on you. Oh, thank you and she, she tied off across the road with me, and it gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. She crossed the road, and my sister, who was wimping, got a sense of real pride and, 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 and worth in me, but she hadn 't seen had hand felt before and uh, you don 't know my sister um, and that was a spur-of-the-moment decision by me. I saw what was happening, I saw the situation, and I, I took it upon myself to help this woman cross the road. Um, but helping a woman cross a road, helping a blind woman cross the road, is a lot easier than building a wall. Unless she's trying to cross a motorway. Um, so what is, Nea, what is Nehemiah doing? Is he, is he proving a point? Is he fulfilling a dream? Is he helping others, or is he helping himself? So the wall holds some sentimental value for Nehemiah because he was born in Jerusalem and the walls, within any, for any city, the boundaries of the walls, they are a defence mechanism. They, they hold a symbolism of authority. It shows that the city is amazing, it's brilliant, it's wonderful, it's strong, it's powerful, and this wall in Jerusalem had been knocked down. And with that happening, it, they, were, they were disgraced by it. Um, and there wasn't a fact that they could do about it. But Nehemiah shows up, and he says, I think we need to, to build up again. So, he's gone out, he looks at this wall, he goes across, and he looks at all the ruins, the way the gates have been bro- burned down and such like, and he turns to his men who are travelling with him, he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And they say, let us start rebuilding. Straight off. No questions. Oh, it's just like that. It's as though, despite all the heartbreak of being bullied by the surrounding nations, these guys are so full of passion and enthusiasm to do what needs to be done. I mean, this, this is a wall, but it's a big wall. I'll tell you about that in a bit. Um, but it means that they're no longer in disgrace. It means that while ever the wall is built, they can, they can praise God, while ever it stands. I mean, the symbolism is so important to them. They say, yeah, yeah, it's got to be done. We've got to do it. There's no question about it. the idea was that the persecuted Jews who were exiled would come in to Jerusalem and they would praise God who had given them this wall so they start Nehemiah gathers the people and they start in chapter 3 it shows the number of people who were involved in building this wall Um, and It doesn't say exactly how many of, I have looked it up and it doesn't say exactly how many there were, but I did some counting up from the people in the Bible. And for every place where it says the tribe or the men of, or the group of, or the daughters of, or the sons of, such and such and such, I sort of counted five people as an average for those groups. And I counted 86 people there. Um, So... You're not a huge amount of people. I mean, 86 may seem a lot in comparison to this, but 86 people building a wall is not a huge amount of people. So let's look at this again. But let's look at Doncaster. I mean, Doncaster is our ruin. That's the way I'm looking at it. Doncaster is our ruin, and we as a church must rebuild the walls of Doncaster. Doncaster, in disrepair, disrepair is our disgrace as Christians. It's full of sin... And we, are, we as the church are the beacon of light that people need to turn to. I mean, at the moment we are, we are like a match, but we could be a forest fire burning in the hearts of the people of Doncaster. And I like that imagery. That's good imagery. I mean, we could take it to a, to a large scale. We could say that Britain is our, is our ruin, or that the world is our ruin. But for the moment, for, for the time being, we'll stick with Doncaster. And it needs to be built up in the Christian faith. I mean, we, we're all in agreement on that. So, how do we do this? I mean, we can do it through a variety of ways, but they all include God. And God doesn't want to do the work on his own, this is exactly what Bob was saying. He doesn't want to do the work on his own, and that's where we come in. Now, fortunately, one of the hardest parts for Gateway Church has already been covered, and that is the setting up of the church. And more Morwenner have already done that. They've set up Gateway Church, along with various other people from Leeds and in Bedford, along with people who were already in Doncaster and everyone in that first year helped set up that church. The foundation's now there, and that's the hardest part done, I believe. Um, having said that, I've never been part of a church, man, so it could be that it gets a lot worse. Worse is in. No? Oh, come on. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to have to lift this up. Here we go. Uh, okay. Okay, so the setting of the church is done. And now that the church is here, what do we do with it? I mean, do we do we ignore it? Do we confine it? If at all, what to? Um, but first, I think we need to understand that the church is not a building. I mean, we've, we've all been told this over and over again the church is not the building, it's the people within the building. It's been told over and over and over and over and over and over again. But a really important thing to understand. But we all, as people, need to be a part of that church. And that doesn't just mean coming on a Sunday morning. I mean, I don't mean that you, you, you come along and you sit down and you go, oh yes, very good, and then go again. You need, to, you need to come. You need to be a part of fellowship. You need to be a part of the teas and coffees, the setup, up, the, the worship the, the band and, 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 and such like you need to be a part of every aspect of church. It's, just, it's not just coming along and being there it's good that you come but that's not it you have to help others to understand the gospel you have to overcome the obstacles that you faced in the week or the obstacles that you're going to face in the week ahead, it may be that you need others to help you do that and that's not a bad thing You need to be able to contribute as much as you can to the church. And fellowship is a big part of that. I find that personally with fellowship, you know, just getting together, having a cup of tea, having a cup of coffee, having a conversation, it's so difficult personally for me to see a stranger and go up and talk to them. I really struggle doing that, but I know that there are people in here who excel at that. They will just go up and so say, hello, how are you, you wonderful. And people so want that. They just want someone to come to them and talk to them or to listen to something that they might have to say. Conversations are something that people thrive on. All these things are being a part of the church. But not only that, but you have to come to terms with praying for people. Now, personally, this is quite difficult for me. I know that for some people in here, it's difficult to to go out and lay hands on someone and pray in, in, in... a conv- uh, con- with, with conviction. And I, I, people in my small group know that I don't often pray aloud. I don't, it's something that feels very uncomfortable to me. But I pray in my head. I, I know God and God knows me and, and we, we have a mutual thing where if I speak in my head he might answer uh, the prayer that, that uh, we're praying for. And some people just do it with utter ease. They come to the front, they lay their hands, and they go, and they go for it. And I know there are people in here that do the same. But your praying doesn't have to be long-winded. It doesn't have to be eloquent at all. It just be simple, plain. God loves you. I want to pray for you. And that's all it needs. But you've really got to want to help that person. And if you don't want to help that person, and as a result you don't want to pray for them, then you need to reevaluate something in your life. I mean, some people are afraid to pray and, and in case nothing in, in case happens. But if that's the case, you can do no more than try. So that's another thing of being a part of the church. And it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be informal. It doesn't have to be traditional or original. It just has to be you as a church, you as an individual, and God. So we looked at the beginnings of Gateway Church. A few years ago, I, don't know when I might have thought, we've got ten people, why bother? And if they hadn't bothered, then where would we be now? I mean they saw the ruins of Doncaster and they began to build. They saw where other churches had started building up their part of the wall. And they weighed up the pros and cons. And most importantly, they prayed to God. And look at us now. I mean, sure, Doncaster's still there, I can't deny that. But the first bricks have been laid for this part for the wall the part of the wall that this church is now building. And when it's joined together with all the other churches who've done all this building and repaired over the years in Doncaster, you can see that it's a very obvious wall. I mean, it's still prone to attack, be it physical or psychological, but it's there and it's something that that we should be proud to be a part of. And that's the observing the ruin point. Now, on the grounds it's so quiet, I want to try something. Um, I need Jonathan... Hello. What? Could you come up to the front, please? Um, David, could you come up to the front, please? And Catherine, could you come up to the front, please? And Martin? Either or, or both? (laughs) Now these guys come to the front of Arsenal too, and what I'd like you all to do is to travel all the way around the room acting as monkeys. No? No. Stop, 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 stop doing? Of monkeys. Why? Because told, told, told to. <laughs> Good, go sit down. The point I want to make there is that I asked these people to come up and make fools of themselves in front of people they knew and respected. And they did. And who am I? I'm Joel. Yeah, no one listens to me. It's just because I'm up here. And they've come up, they've acted like monkeys just for your entertainment really the question is would you do that if God said act like a monkey in the middle of town I don't suppose he will but what I'm saying is that there are bound to have been occasions in the past and it's happened with me as well where God has said do this and I haven't done it Now you're prepared to get up and humiliate yourself in front of people because I asked you to what will you do for God Nehemiah did that, he had a passion on his heart he went to rebuild an entire wall and I'd just like to note now this is the wall, now people have sort of, not too sure exactly the sizes the, the general idea is that it was about 100 feet high it was there are claims about 116 feet thick, I'm not entirely certain on that, but there's also the length people have said that it's about 4.5 miles long I reckon it could have been longer um, we're talking a big wall everyone knows where the Kennedys live and where the Red Ferns live if you take the road route that is about 4.5 miles long and to build a wall 100 feet high 116 feet thick I'm not sure on that to build it all the way from the Kennedys to the Redferns is going to take a long time with 86 people, maybe more, maybe less. It's all very, very vague, and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you about that. I, I, the research that I've done hasn't been terribly fruitful on the statistical. So I want to bring on my second point: the building of the wall. We build our walls now. Knowing what his project involved, Nehemiah set to work straight away. He gathered all the men and women he could find, and he set about recovering the rubble and the ruins and putting them all back together again, like the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle. But it's not something that someone can just do. I mean, it takes care of planning and precision training and hard labour. I mean, it takes time and energy and manpower and, and women power. Building a wall takes tools and equipment and much experience. When I built a wall last year, a lot of you know I was on a renovation project. I built a wall last year. It was one of the stupidest walls I've ever built in my entire life. In fact, it was the stupidest wall I've ever built in my entire life. I haven't built any walls since. And it took me... How oh, did it take me? It took me 12 days to build this one wall. That's only this height. If the falls there is that high. It was not a big wall, it wasn't a long wall. It stretched from, say, the wall to about here. It was a very small wall. It took me, one person inexperienced, twelve days to do that. And I'm I was mixing and laying all on my own. Now, if I can do that, in a little under a fortnight. What can this number of men and women do in the 52 days that it took? Because it took 52 days, apparently. What could they do, do you think, roughly? I mean, okay, this isn't really the point I making. The point, the amount of time isn't really important. I mean, it's important in the respect that the time is a big factor because it confirmed for those in the surrounding areas that God was in on this whole wall thing. I mean they didn't believe it could be done they saw it was done in the time that it took and they realised that God had come down and overlooked this entire building project but it wasn't God alone I'm not suggesting that, that God that in the slightest that God couldn't build a wall I mean he could and if he did it would probably be the best wall in the world but what we have to understand is that God sparked the passion in Nehemiah's heart to do this one thing I mean, it just so happens that this one thing is a fairly sizable task. But not only was it not God alone who built this wall, or Nehemiah alone who built this wall, or God and Nehemiah together building this wall, but it was the people who built the wall. The show of inspiration that Nehemiah gave, asking people to build this wall with him, was so overwhelming, and the need for the wall was so great, the significance of it and its symbolism and meaning... Held so much for the people that there was a clamouring to do the work. I mean, isn't that what a group of people with something on their heart should be like? Now, let's look at it from, from our point of view. If this church wanted 250 members, could we as a church, with God's help, get those 250 members? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Who was that? If we as a church wanted a building that could hold 500 people, could we as a church, with God's help, get that? If this church wanted to see 20 miracles a week, could this church, with God's help, get 20 miracles a week? (laughs) I think it's a given now, to be honest. I mean, if we as a church wanted to see the poor fed and the homeless sheltered and the drug takers clean and the violent calm, if we as a church wanted to see the people of the region see what God can do for them, if we as a church wanted to see the English see what God can do for them, or the British to see what God could do for them, or the people of the world to see what God could do for them, could we as a church, with God, do that? I mean, life isn't easy for us, and, and we've got God on our side. But what about those who haven't? Well, what do we think about them? I've had a contribution for a few months now. I've been playing with my mind a long time, because it's, it's actually a, an incident that happened to me. And I don't know the, the relevance of it to, to what was going on in, in the sermon at the time during worship or whatever. And I was thinking it through today. No, it wasn't. I was thinking it through a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, I think this is what God wants. So this is is the incident that happened. I was driving home from Boughton Tree. No, I wasn't. I was driving from home from Boughton Tree, down Boughton towards a hare and tortoise. And I was... It was pretty dark, a lot of traffic coming towards me, and I saw a deer crossing the road. And as I came down, this went across my lane, and a car coming the other way clipped it, and it flew up seven feet in the air and landed smack in front of me. So I I stopped. I pulled over, put my hazards on, and I got out of the car. And I stared at this deer. I thought I can't do anything. What am I gonna do? And this deer is alive, it's flaming his legs about, it turning its head up and down, up, down this car's whizzing past, lights just flashing by it, and I'm standing there, I'm thinking I can do one of three things here. I can kill it, I can watch it die, or I can chuck it in the back of the van and see if I can get it to a vet or something quick at about 6 o'clock so everywhere was closed I called my, my, uh, my granddad and said find the, find the number for the local vet and that's all I did and I stood and I watched this deer for about 5 minutes and a woman came up she parked a car so that people could steer clear of the deer and she stood with me and we both watched this deer thinking what do we do and then it died. It died right in front of us after about five minutes. And I don't like dead things at like the best of the times. So I'm looking at this deer thinking, that was alive a couple of seconds ago. And not anymore. What did I do? And a man came up in a van, picked it up, chucked it in his van, and went off. It was as if nothing had happened. Now that's something I've wanted to share with the church for a long while. But I didn't know why. I don't know if it was because I was traumatised by the whole thing, the fact I'd seen this thing happen. But today I felt that it was good to put it in context of the people of Doncaster or all over the world who are in that position. They've been hit by sin. Smacked down on the floor, they're flailing around. Nothing to do, they're going nowhere. They're hurting, they're in pain. And me, I'm a Christian, I'm watching them. And I'm standing there and I'm watching them. My phone call is just going to church. I'm not going up or helping them. I could kill them, but that's called murder. And you're not allowed to do that. I don't think you're allowed to do it anywhere, in fact. Or I could take them under my wing. With God. And see if they'll have a better life. And that's what I wanted to bring. So I feel that... There are an awful lot of people in Doncaster who are down for the count. Flaming their arms about, crying out. What's going on here? I don't know what's going off. And there's me as a Christian watching and thinking, Ah! I'm saved by Jesus, and you're not. And that's the wrong way to go about it. Why don't we help people who are in this situation? I mean, do we realise how bad hell is? I don't think we do. Perhaps we're thinking, It's okay. I know Jesus died for me. I stand that I'm going to heaven, so I'm okay, I'm fine. And If we're like that, we're like the people on the hillsides around Jerusalem while the building's going on, and saying, yeah, they've got the right idea. I agree with them 100, but I'll just make the most of my day supporting them from this distance. That's not the way we want to go. A couple of times a year, my uh, my mother and father-in-law come and see us can be a very awkward time sometimes. And they come up for a day or two, and usually we talk about what's going on in our church, what's going on in their church, because we to see what's going on. And their main problem at the moment with their church are the elderly people and the stubborn people. And John and Carol aren't the youngest people in the church. They're nearly 60. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We love you really. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I don't know what goes off after 25. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, we know. We do love you, Betty. Um, So what John and Carol are trying to bring the church into the 21st century, they're They've got solar panels on the, on the roof of the church. The, the worship band, they've got all sorts of trumpets. It's a modern thing. The, the, the worship habit, they've got the bass and the electric guitar, the drums and everything. They're, they're really trying to bring it into the 21st century. <coughs> but there are people who refuse to work with the church. They would contribute like they should. And there was a certain incident. John was saying that in their small group, they might sing songs. Sing worship songs in small groups. Seems logical to me. I thought, (laughs) we do that all the time. Carol's saying in their small group that she's got about five or six old ladies and they want to do nothing but sit there and read the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing, but they won't even talk about it. Any problems they have in their life, they don't want to talk about it anything they want to pray for they don't want to talk about it Carol actually said let's have an open prayer evening and they said oh okay oh wait a minute they wrote down their prayers on a sheet of paper gave it to Carol and said can you pray it I mean what mentality do you have there when you you're so distanced from God you've got to get someone else to pray for you I mean that's fine mean, okay people come up to me and they say let, let me lay your hands on you I'll pray for you like this that's fine that's okay if I said, I have a friend who, who suffers from a leg problem, could you just pray for him, please, because I'm not going mean, to. That's not the right way to go about it. These people just didn't want to pray to God. They, they were out of touch. Now, like I say, I'm not one for open prayer. I keep very quiet and I do it all in my head. But if i so out of touch with God to get someone else to pray for me, I just don't do it. There's something wrong there and I want to give it up for John and Carol actually because if you've met them you can tell they're very passionate people about the church they're working hard they're, they're dealing with a very difficult generation of people and they're trying to bring it up to date like, they told me of an instance where someone put their hand up in the air during worship and half the congregation sat down in disgust. it just, it just really riles me I mean their wall is very well built. It's well established. But it's since crumbled. And John and Garold, and other people like them, they're filling in this with mortar and, and putting in new bricks where the old ones have perished. And, but it's not an easy job. Particularly when the people who built the wall in the first place start saying, no, that's not worth it. How not a little No wall is ever complete. I mean, more can be done. It could be built higher, it could be built longer, it needs to be maintained, it has to hold the defence line. And like the wall, our churches won't ever be complete as returns. There's always more to do. Anyway I say, but John, we haven't got a building. It's difficult. I say, yeah, I know. So what are we going to do about it? Well, you pray. You're going to give and you're going to ask. And whatever we have no building, we must do what we can, as best we can, for the church and the people in and around Doncaster. And that's our job as Christians. We have to spread the word of God, which is love we'll get no unless we see what we have to do and work for it I mean you think that when we get a building it's all going to be hunky dory it's not it's going to be a whole lot harder we're going to be a lot busier it's going to be pressure on us as Christians to do what? to help people I mean do you ever go home after a day at work and and think i have help seven people today I mean I'm very proud of myself I mean why not eight? eight why not nine if nine why not ten the work will never finish, and it will be ongoing until Jesus shows up. And when he does, the last thing you want to say to him is, I've done my helping. I've helped seven people today. I'm broke for myself. But no, the last thing you want to say is, oh, I didn't expect you so soon. Mm. I went to the job centre a while back. And there was a man there, he, uh, he asked me what I was doing for my job search. I said, well, I'm moving house, I'm doing this, I'm doing that and doing that, but to be honest, it's difficult because, you know, I haven't got internet, can't quite call people because I haven't got a phone. And he said, have you called any employees to get a job? I said, no, no, I haven't had a chance. Now, what if he'd been Jesus? And what if he wasn't talking about my job search, but how I'd spread the word of his sacrifice for the world? What if I'd said to him, well, I've not done an awful lot because I've been moving house? Well, what's he going to say or do I mean, the job centre in a way is a rather silly example because the idea is you do the church they pay you as it is I must admit our job centre has taken us a fair few weeks to pay um, so I feel a little fear when, I, when, I, when they tell me that I haven't done enough because the contract that we, we have had with the job centre is broken they haven't upheld their end we have our, upheld ours Sorry, but Jesus is a different matter because he's paid my allowance he's paid right up to to gone and I've no excuse it's all and good for me to say yeah I believe in you Jesus and you died for me and you love me and I love you right back but if he turns around and says what about your next door neighbour well I don't get the chance to talk to them well what about your family well I've tried to sit down with them but what about school friends well they just laugh at me about it what about the blind woman you helped cross the road ah Yeah. Now Jesus isn't going to give you the third degree on why he didn't help these people, but in every case here that I've said, the opportunity's there. I mean, do you really? And do you really do your best to bring these people to Jesus? And if you don't, then why not? I mean, Jesus went to all people, good and bad, and aware and ignorant. we can say to ourselves, Jesus knew and saw more than we ever will, and that's why he had the confidence to go out and do what he did. But he still died for us. He still suffered brutal and vicious torture at the hands of those he came to save. And I, don't know, I don't care how much or how, how much you, you know or how much you love or how much you've done. To know that you'll suffer such a horrible death and to go through with it when every opportunity is open for you to let it pass. He was still a man. He was the son of God by the Holy Spirit. That didn't leave him invulnerable to the pains of man he could suffer, he did suffer but he carried on sharing God's word despite the inevitable outcome, he knew it and we're we what will to us when we speak to a society who aren't going to stone us they're not going to string us up to the nearest tree they accept that Christianity is there they just may not necessarily think it's for them that is not easy, far from it in fact but opportunities are in abundance and unless God is on the mud all the time you'll just keep forgetting about it and find what makes you passionate for God, then pray and go for it with all your heart and all your money and all your strength. And it's through this and a love for God. Not, not through any building or anything like that. It's for a love for God, a love for Jesus that will give the church growth. Finally, my third point. Nehemiah had, had guards posted all over the place to dig de- the wall no one was safe. Not the builders, their families, not the water carriers, or guards themselves. And why? Because they were reforming that status which had been demolished. And it was the people who demolished it who were threatening them. I mean, right from the very start of the project, chaps like Sanballat and Tobiah, who were the governors of, we believe, Samaria some, some and and the Ammonites, he I mean, was the governor of the Ammonites. I can't remember what the name of the place was.
1: Who were, they were fairly high officials
0: back then. And they were dead against the rebuilding of the wall. And with Jerusalem's walls knocked down, their city suddenly became higher up in authority. And they were that little bit more important. But not only that, but because the king had granted Nehemiah his wish to rebuild it, they felt that political uprising was going to come. And they might lose their jobs. So they mocked the builders and insult them, put ideas upon them that were never going to, that they were never going to manage what they I mean I suffered similar things uh, I used to go to a swimming club in Rosington, and uh, there was a time there when they said uh, you can't do anything you're rubbish, you can't swim, you think you can do this you, think, no, you can't do it I bet you you can't do 24 minutes, of butterfly butterfly stroke, Anyone want to try a butterfly stroke it's difficult, it's hard and they said you can't do it 15 minutes till the end of the session you're not going to do it, you'll never manage it well, I did I put them wrong and he didn't say a word Okay. do quiet same thing again again with swimming actually a friend of mine said I bet you can't swim underwater for 50 metres no breathing and well, I did proved it wrong and he remained quiet now these are good examples in a way because it shows triumph over adversary but they're not so good in a way because I was taking tasks that I knew I could do they were pushing me to the limit but I could do them now, if someone said, I couldn't build a wall, I know that I could, and I would do it. But we can not deal with a wall here, we're talking about a huge, heifer, giant wall. We're dealing with a wall that can only be built by God. Not only that, but the people who are bringing them down, day in, day out, threatening physical violence, I mean, I've no doubt they would have destroyed various parts of the rebuilt wall, and may well have intimidated or physically harmed the families of those who were rebuilding it. I mean, that's a lot of flat to take. It's like me doing 24 lengths of butterfly, with people throwing rocks at me. It's like me swimming underwater for 50 metres, but I can't do it if I'm strapped down with weights. If if God wasn't there, then these people who built this wall would have been killed off one by one. If not killed, then severely injured. God watched over them day in, day out, all day, all night. They were following Nehemiah, and he was following his heart. Now, once the wall was built, it says that when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, who believes that that was it? Who thinks that the wall was safe from the tyrants who had spent the past three months knocking them down with every step? Some people experience God and they become scared. and As a result, they either lay themselves down before him, fully aware there's not a fat lot like you can do about it. Or they retaliate. They strike back against what they fear. Now, I must admit, while ever we're in the community centre, there's, there's a part of me feels like I don't want to invite more people. I'm comfortable here. It's a small and loving community. Everyone knows everyone and we're happy with them. We could each go to each other's houses for meals or social nights, film nights, wine and cheese evenings, Youth, 20s, over 40s, under 70s, nearly hundreds, not quite a year old. But where would that get us as a church? We'd be well known as the church that got on together, but at the end of the day we're not, we're not building the church by doing that. We're sharing the gospel and our faith with ourselves. I mean, Tim could talk to me for hours about God and Jesus, but... Ultimately, I already know a fair bit about it. What does he gain by doing it? I mean, he might prove useful if I said, Tim, I'm really struggling with this area of my life. And he might say, buy bigger trousers. Or he might say, let me share my experiences with you. That way I'm learning more. Now, this is the important thing. We all have room to learn. All of us slip up. We all make mistakes. God made us that way. He knows we do stupid things. So let's accept now that that, 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 that's what we do. It's what we've done, it's what we are doing, it's what we will do. We will do stupid things. But what sets us aside from the people in this area of life who don't believe in God is that we're trying not to do these stupid things. So yeah, let's build ourselves, let's let's build up our our moral and self-esteem. Morale. Morale. Not moral. That's the wrong word. Our morale and self-esteem. Let's encourage each other to do what's right for God. Let's, let's be aware that we're already his children. So don't just help each other. Help those who don't even know him. Those who've never seen eye to eye with him. The more good deeds you do, the more people will see. The bigger, the stronger, the taller, and the longer you build your wall, the more likely it is someone will bump into it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk